So I'm just going to jump right in because we're a little, a little short on time this week, and I'm going to preface everything. This is kind of a continuation of last week, like I said, I'm being true to that, uh, but I'm going to tell you up front, I'm going to leave you a little bit on a cliffhanger tonight, and I feel bad about it, but I just simply do not have enough time, and the Lord said this is not one message. So I said, okay. So it will still be a good message, but uh, it's not one message, it's uh, it's. Well, it's like one and four, but this one I wanted, I wanted to do more tonight. I just don't have time. It's just not going to work. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter one. We're not going to start there, but I'm going to take us there pretty quick. Um, I'm going to recap last week. Uh, my whole desire, what the Lord's really put on my heart, is that we would be a people of mission, expressing mission in our world. We want the gospel to look like something tangible in our city. We want love to look like something tangible, uh, salvation to look like something tangible in our city. Uh, but we operate out of who we are. Uh, and so the Lord, I'm really uh, going after identity and sonship. Uh, Ladies, again, you'll have to bear with me when I say sonship. That includes daughterhood. It's just for the sake of ease. Uh, last week talked about the servant and the son dichotomy, and that our identities are a paradox, and the servant, the aspect of servanthood, is true, uh, and that's actually the support for our sonship. Uh, I did just find out, just by the way, if you weren't here, uh, we did that we have a podcast of it, and I don't know if we got that up, but Mike Rice was recording. Did we get? Okay, so the podcast for last week will be up tomorrow morning, so we'll have the full podcast, which is cool. Um, thank you, Mike, for thinking about that. Um, uh, so I advocated that uh, in this dichotomy, what we do with our freedom is a huge indicator uh, and just a real litmus test for uh, our sonship and our understanding of who we are in Christ. And so, uh, and we've been, yeah, given freedom as children. Okay, I'm just trying to recap real quick here. Uh, this week, so the question, you know, I really just expanded upon this fact that we've been given freedom. Most of our life is not controlled and dictated by God. He's actually given us freedom and permission, and what we do with that freedom and permission has really powerful implications on us, uh, on our lives, on our destinies, on our callings, on everything that we do and, and who we become. So uh, this week, I'm now going to transition into what do we do with this freedom and how do we steward it well, uh, which is what we all want. Um, and I'm just going to be super upfront where I'm going, and then I'm going to kind of build on it because it's, it's a deeper concept than just a kind of a superficial idea. But the, the, the fundamental thing that I want to advocate here is that we've been given freedom, and that freedom gives us the permission to dream. Amen? So there is a dream that God is dreaming for your life, and it's bigger than you. And with this freedom, because we've been giving it in our identity in Christ as sons and daughters, uh, we have permission, and I would even take it further to say a responsibility, to dream the dream of God and to dream it boldly. And that is what I'm going to advocate, but this is going to be the next two weeks. And I'm really not trying to like do, I've never done like a cliffhanger, I don't do that intentionally, but that's where we're going. Um, but I, it's got to be a journey to get there, and I really felt that it was purposeful and, and of the Lord to really um, be thorough in the development. Um, because I want to liberate you and get you to a place where your soul can truly believe the dream of God for you the great dream of God for your life because it's a process and it's a journey and I'm going to hopefully take us on this process and this journey. Um, so I'm, a, I'm addressing this uh, for two reasons. The first is that God wants full access to our creative faculty. Uh, so we were created in his image. 
He is a creator God, and we are also creative. And we've been given a faculty within our soul that it's, it's, it's extraordinarily creative. And God wants complete access. And the way that these faculties were designed to work was with a vision. Proverbs 29, is that right? Yeah, 29, 18. Uh, it says, without vision, the people perish. Um, so without this dream of God, without this vision, uh, are we perish. It's, it's, we don't know how to function without one. And uh, that's the first reason uh, I'm talking to this. And the second one is I want to create movement from servanthood to sonship. Uh, servants have a really hard time to, to draw back on that dichotomy. You can, if you weren't here last week, listen to the podcast. This will make more sense, but should have been here last week. So anyways, uh, in a servanthood dichotomy, servants don't know how to dream because they, they can't do it adequately because there's too much, uh, there's too much like performance woven into their identity. So uh, for them to dream, they're going to be, uh, there's really, what is the word I wanted to use here? Uh, unworthy, unworthiness. Servants feel too unworthy to dream the dream of God for their lives because their identity is rooted in performance. So for a servant operating a servant mindset to dream the dream of God, pride's going to manifest. And it's either going to manifest as arrogance or it's going to manifest as insecurity. How can I dream that? I can't perform that. I can't make that happen. Right? So there's going to be this real feelings of inadequacy and unworthiness that are going to inhibit a servant from dreaming because the dream of God isn't attached to servant to servanthood. It's attached to sonship. Right? So uh, why I want to really push and emphasize and advocate that we must dream and dream our dreams boldly is because our dreams are attached to our identity. And so in doing this, I want to create movement to kind of like disturb and get us moving um, and, and connecting with our identity. Where is that in the Bible? It's in there. Uh, Abraham, uh, he received his dream from the Lord, look to the skies, and so your descendants will be greater than the, sky, the stars in the sky if you can count them. His name was attached to his dream. The dream was just a manifest of his name. His Abraham means father of many nations. Right? So there's this deep correlation between the dream of God and your name, your identity. Right? That's not just a one-time phenomena. Moses, his name means to draw out. And what did he do? He was used by God. He was drawn out of the water as a child, and then he was used by God to draw Israel out of Egypt. And he was a deliverer. Right? So what we do is an expression of who we are. Right? And who we are, it's our identity. So I, I'm... I want to get to this place that we have to dream these dreams uh, because it's who we are. And it, it points to who we are. And it will force us to, there's these blockages that keep us. But in that thing, um, it's, such a, it's such a powerful driving force when you attach your faith to the dream of God for your life that it will, it will force movement into the, un, the uncomfortable places sometimes of asking uncomfortable questions to get in, um, into a solid foundation of who you are in Christ. Does that sound good? Does that make sense? Just kind of trying to introduce this. Does this make sense over here? Okay. All right. So what I'm going to go through um, the next, uh, this week and then next week are, uh, I'm going to call them like, I'm going to get the soil. I want the soil of our minds ready to uh, bear the fruit of dreams. Uh, I, I don't think that, a really a powerful we're not in a place to really dream boldly with God um, until we have uh, like that's the diamond and we need the setting does that make sense 
And a lot of times we have belief systems that don't support a really healthy engagement with the promises of God. And so um, the visual that I have is, you know how when like you plant a garden, you have to do multiple layers of like fertilizer and soil that will support the growth of the garden? Yeah? Okay, nobody nodded at first. I got nervous. I was like, crap, is that not true? <laughs> um, so that's the kind of the visual I have here is I'm going to go through three beliefs that I think are really important to put the soil in the garden bed so that it will produce um, the dream of God, like the ability to dream. That might not work entirely, but I hope it makes sense. Um, so, uh, and there's three layers that I want to go through, and they kind of build on one another. And so that's why I said it's going to be a cliffhanger, because I'm only going to be able to do two tonight. So, it's, so it's, uh, the, the sermon title is three layers, but I'm only doing two of them. Anyways, I think it's funny. Uh, Colossians. Colossians 1, chapter 1, verse 12. We'll do 11 and 12. Mm, never mind, we'll just do 12. The whole thing is talking about what God has done, right? And then in 12, it says, uh, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So we give thanks to God because he's qualified us to share in saintly inheritance. The first belief that I really want to instill, the first layer of this soil, is that you are qualified by God. Uh, if you were to do like a word study, there's a few different definitions on, uh, of saintly, because uh, I think it's interesting that we're qualified for saintly inheritance. A saint, we all know what a saint is, at least in some form or another, but it, you know, it simply means like an exceptionally righteous person, right? Someone that's holy, someone that's virtuous. The Catholic Church identifies all these saints, right? Saint Benedict, Saint Jordan, Saint Kevin, right? Okay, you guys aren't really in a funny mood. <laughs> I'll get real serious now. Serious about joy. So we've been qualified to share in saintly inheritance, and that's a righteous person. If you were to think, what is saintly inheritance, you know, read about the saints. All the saints, they have like miracles, virtuous lives, amazing ministries, something very spectacular about them, right? Can we, we'll just agree about that. There's, a, there's, a, there's an exceptional quality of God working through them that distinguish them in their lives, right? Does that work for a functional definition for tonight? And Colossians 1, 2, according to the word, says we've been qualified to share in that inheritance, right? The problem that I see that really confronts this belief is that we don't understand a lot of times the simple dynamics of the gospel. We believe them, but they don't actually manifest in the way that we uh, live, but I'd even say more in the way that we talk. And we're in a battle of the mind. Our life, our, our, the world we live in is a battle of the mind, and there's a lot of voices that are competing for the soil of our minds. There's a lot of, of things and messages that are spoken to us all the time. 
I think to even find true silence in our life is an, an incredibly intentional discipline that you have to work really hard for because we are always being fed something. And particularly into this belief of qualification, uh, there is a world full of disqualifying voices. And they are telling us things all the time. We're getting them from people. We're getting them from ourselves. We're getting them from our performance. And they say things all the time like, you're a fraud. You're a fake. You're a failure. You're not enough. Uh, you are not loved. You're a sinner. You're a, you're a hypocrite. You say you walk with Jesus, but you did this, right? There are so many negative voices that we pick up in our lives, right? And the ones, the really ones that are dangerous are the ones that start to resonate with performance in our life, particularly poor performance, right? Like, you know, just pick, pick some type of way that you didn't perform the way that you would have liked to, you know, and it's like, you know, or you fell into something and then all of a sudden you're a, you're a hypocrite, you're a liar, starts resonating, right? You told a lie because you wanted to protect something, right? And you didn't, you know you shouldn't have done it. It was a small compromise, but you did it. You're a liar, Right, you stole something once, and maybe it was like 10 years ago, but you've never really told anybody, and there's a little voice, you're a stealer, you're a thief. Right? There's all these messages that are always looking, negative voices to affirm poor performance. And the funny thing about humans is which ones do we remember the longest? Our good performances or our poor ones? Poor ones, right? Like, have you ever done the thing, you know, where you do something and like 80 people are like, that was incredible. And then like one person says something negative to you. What do you remember? Negative, right? There's all these voices always competing for what are you going to believe? And as it pertains, there's these disqualifying voices. And I've noticed and I've seen it because I see it and I've found it in my own, um, my own speech and I've, I hear it. Um, but when it gets, there's a dangerous drift that you have poor performance because we all have poor performance, right? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Am I in the right room? Right? Like there are, we don't have to look very hard to find things that are not up to the righteous standard of Jesus, right? Like I was just laughing, um, well, kind of laughing, but <laughs> I wasn't planning on going here tonight, but just to demonstrate the point, a year ago, this Sunday, I just only know this because we ran the sawtooth relay yesterday in a blizzard. It was really miserable, but we survived. Fun at the same time, but type two fun. Fun after the fact. Um, that's from Susanna. Uh, I woke up an inch of snow on the ground. I was like, I'm out. I'm out. And they're like, no, no, no. So I was like, all right. I was a weenie. But anyways, uh, a year ago, this Sunday, I got in a massive fight with my little brother. The point that he was throwing blows at me, I was socking him on the arm. And I'm like, oh, great, I'm a pastor. And I just punched my little brother and got in a horrible fight. And I honestly felt like an idiot for a long time. Like, how did I get that angry? Only you could make me that angry. It's your fault. Um, but it was bad. It sucked. It was horrible to have to like, wow, there's a really poor performance right here, right? And we are all on this process of sanctification, but it's a really dangerous drift that in the poor performance, all of a sudden the negative voices start coming and they're disqualifying voices. You're a fake, you're a fraud, you're a hypocrite, you're angry, you're a sinner, da, 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 right? And they begin to resonate with us because we say, yeah, that's true. Look at that performance, and pretty soon, we start saying things, identity statements, that are agreeing with all of this. And I hear things. I, hear, I still hear this from people. And it drives me nuts. Uh, I'm no saint. 
I'm just an ugly sinner saved by the grace of God. I'm just a rotten sinner. Who's heard this? Who's heard that sentiment? I'm just a sinner saved by grace. There's a big problem with that statement. Is that that statement is blasphemy to the cross of Jesus. To a new covenant believer, to claim sin is an identity, is blasphemy to the cross of Jesus Christ. Sin is an issue, and it's a real issue. And when we have sin, we got to look at it, and we got to deal with it. But it is not an identity. We've been qualified with Jesus, and our qualification came in what Paul says uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. He made him sin who knew no sin, so that in him we'd become righteousness. And we've got to take responsibility for the things that we say. Because I think to come before the crucified king of kings, bleeding upon a cross, and to look at him and say, I'm not a saint, would break his heart. She'd say, what more do I have to do? Why are you not a saint? Right? When we start taking places to that point and saying, would I say this to Jesus Christ himself? We start recognizing that's probably not very smart to say. <laughs> that's, that doesn't sound so nice anymore. Right? Because it's a cop-out. It's a big, fat cop-out. The truth is that Back up before we get to the truth. We have to stop listening to our performance to give us our identity because that's not the gospel. The gospel is that God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to the cross who shed his blood as a testimony on our behalf that I've made you righteous. There's one voice that will always tell you who you are. And it's the testimony of the blood. Isaiah 1, Jesus, God's talking to Israel about their sin and the filth. He's literally referring to Israel as you leaders of Sodom, you leaders of Gomorrah, saying you've become so filthy in your sin. And he says, come, let us reason together. And this is the voice of the blood. Though your sins are like scarlet, I'll make you white as snow. Though your sins are like scarlet, I'll make you white as snow. And all there's that song way back when, my childhood, 90s, out of all the voices calling out to me, I'll choose to listen and believe the voice of truth. In every season of the soul, no matter what you do, no matter how poor your performance is, the voice of the blood of Jesus Christ is calling out to you and to me, saying, I've made him righteous. You're holy. You're clean. You're pure. You're perfect to me. You're my son. You're my daughter. You, there's nothing that I could make better about you. He sees you through the blood because he qualified you through the blood. And some of you might be thinking, that doesn't feel very true to me. Is it raining? We're getting all these weird things happening. Hopefully the power stays on. It's like June. Isn't it supposed to be sunny now? I don't feel like that's true. 
Anybody? I, I feel like I'm failing in my performance. I feel like a sinner. I feel like I'm dirty. I feel like this. Right? And what I say to that encounter is that we don't put our faith in our feelings. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. But this is a discipline. All right, I'm going to share just a super raw story. Here you go. I'm a human too. Uh, there was a number of years ago. That makes it a little easier. <laughs> it wasn't yesterday. Uh, but years ago, I can't even remember, maybe four years ago. Uh, and I, I, I'm not going to make it something that's not. It was a very small moral failure. I'm not even going to tell you what because that's not the point. Very small. Uh, something that I wouldn't have been convicted of back in my day. But I was very convicted and I was very uh, ashamed. And I felt very just unqualified. And I had to minister like a couple hours later. That's not a fun feeling, just to let you know. Um, and I knew I had a dilemma. Okay, I didn't like that. I don't like what just happened. And I feel completely unqualified, and I don't want to be anywhere. Uh, I don't want to have a microphone in my hand. I don't want to minister. I don't want to preach. And uh, I chose in that moment. It did not feel true, anything that I just told you. But I went, I went to a little prayer place that I pray a lot. And I began singing, and I did not feel like singing this, but I sang the same, the same words for probably a half hour. And all I sang was, I am who I am says I am. 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 And then I began confessing to God, I'm pure. I'm blameless. I'm the righteous son of God. I'm holy. I'm perfect for you. I did not feel like any of that was true because there was a yoke of condemnation on me. But the word of God says, if anyone is in Christ, right, that you are no longer slave to sin and you are no longer subject to condemnation. There's no, therefore, there's no condemnation in Christ. Amen? Is that true? Is it true at your worst? Yeah, it's true at your worst. It's not true just when you've been doing really good and praying a whole bunch. Yeah, no condemnation. I feel great about myself. My performance is good. <laughs> it's not about your performance. It's about his love. we got to stop finding our identity. We don't get qualified from our performance. We get qualified by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And that's as true in your darkest moment as it is at your best moment. And we've been qualified. That's so exciting. That's so exciting. It's a gift that we receive. Sin is an issue, but it's not an identity. We deal with issues. We don't claim them as identities. We have to find everything that we say about ourselves. It must be true when we go before Jesus on the cross and we can profess it to him. Those are the only I am statements you're allowed to speak as a new covenant believer of Jesus. You're not a failure, you're not worthless, you're not lazy, you're not, uh, you know, you're not all these things that we say. Well, yeah, I am, my performance says, no, it's not about your performance, you're qualified. God qualified you to use you before you were even born through the blood of Jesus, amen? Okay, I think, I think that's enough. I could go further, but I'm gonna stop there. We're qualified. That's like a foundation when it comes 
to the dream of God. We have to believe that we're qualified and we're not going to be disqualified by our works. We cannot lose with bad works what we did not earn with good ones. That's good news. That's good news, right? Can't lose it with bad works because we didn't earn it with good ones. It's not about us. We're qualified by his blood. Okay. The next place I'm going to go is that I'm just going to call it you're perfect for God. And in Acts, I'll explain what that means. In Acts 10.34, there's a, a really significant passage for anybody in this room that's not a Jew, which I'm figuring is most of you. Uh, it's when Peter comes to the house of Cornelius. Uh, he had this vision. Cornelius had this angelic encounter, and they go to this place, Simon by the sea, Tanner's house by the sea, called, called Peter. He goes to this house, and God says, I want you to go into this house. He says, don't do it without misgiving. So he's like, just do it. Do what he's telling you. So he shows up to Cornelius' house, and he's probably standing at the threshold of the door, and he's never been in a Gentile house his entire life, right? Because he was told since he was a little Jew boy that you don't go into Gentiles' houses. That's not what you do. Israel is God's chosen people. The Gentiles are unclean. You don't associate with them. You don't eat with them. You don't go into their homes. God says, do it. So he walks into this home. As he's doing it, he starts talking about the gospel. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says, Peter, all of a sudden, he goes, now I see. God is not a respecter of persons, right? And he's having a revelation in that moment that, oh my gosh, God doesn't give special preference based on your uh, nationality or ethnicity or uh, language that you speak or your origin, your family origin, right? That's kind of important for us because I'm not a Jew, so I wouldn't be in the kingdom, right? I wouldn't be allowed. Big time revelation. I'm going to extend this phrase that God's not a respecter of persons to include that God is not wooed by your good looks, your intelligence, or your wealth. Where is that in the Bible? Proverbs says, beauty is deceitful and charm is vain. It's a woman who fears the Lord that's to be praised. With David, it says man looks at outer appearance, but God looks at the heart. Israel got wooed by Saul because he was taller than him and more handsome. But David won the heart of God. And he was ready and wasn't even worthy to be counted with his brothers the day that Samuel came knocking on Jesse's door. He was put out with the sheep because most people think he was a son, an illegitimate son of Jesse. Because in the psalm, David says, in sin, my mother conceived me. God looks at, man looks at outer appearance. God looks at the heart. God's not wooed by your intelligence. He uses the foolish things to shame the wise. He uses the weak things to lead the strong. God's not wooed by your wealth. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What I'm trying to get at is the things that oftentimes we as Western American Christians are so impressed with, God doesn't give a rip about when it comes to calling when it comes to being used, when it becomes to the dream that he's dreaming. Sometimes we're so amazed. Oh, wow, they got it all. And God's like, eh, not that impressive. You should see my world. This is really good news for each one of us because it means that it's about grace. It's all about grace. It's good news because God's used a lot of people mightily. We could have probably all name half a dozen to a dozen of people that have deeply impacted just your life, whether they're dead or alive, whether they wrote books, or whether nobody knows their name but you. We all have a list of people that have been used by God in an incredible way to impact and shape our lives. Have we not? 
Most of us would say, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that person. I wouldn't be who I am. I wouldn't have the story I do if it wasn't for the love that God exhibited through that person, through that preacher, through that mother, through that teacher, through that friend. But God's not a respecter of persons. It's not about us. It's about his grace. This is significant because we can begin to look like at people like Billy Graham or Mother Teresa or Heidi Baker or Bill Johnson or Reinhard Bonnke, right? You know, all these people, amazing people that God has used to do things that are mind-blowing. All the saints, you want to read some crazy stuff, read the Catholic Church, all the list of saints. I just did a paper on St. Benedict. That dude did more miracles than any charismatic I know that's alive today. You're like, holy cow. These, things, these people were the real deal. God was moving in dynamic, powerful ways, changing culture, creating institutions that have lasted for thousands of years. But God's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't give a rip about where you came from or how smart you are or what kind of family background you have or how much money's in your bank account or what school you went to. He doesn't care about it. That's not what he's looking for when he's looking to call and use a human being. He's not a respecter of persons. I learned this uh, a number of years ago. Uh, I'm sure many of you are familiar with uh, Bethel Church. And I was there uh, for like one day. I was dr literally driving through town to drop off uh, a young man that I've mentored for years at a, in a, another school in California. And we stopped. We went to church. Bill Johnson is a personal hero to me, uh, someone that has very much spurred me on in the faith and lit a fire in me for what it can look like to be used by God. And uh, I remember sitting in the search service. I was sitting where, like you, and he was up maybe talking or ministering. I can't remember. But some kind of thought flashed in my mind that was like, wow, like it is so incredible what you've used this man to accomplish in the earth. And just something like, man, I don't know how you could ever use me to do something even half that great. Something along those lines going through my head. And honestly, I was down. After I left, I was down and bothered for like a day. And I didn't even know why I was bothered. I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't like correlated to that moment. But I remember thinking that. And I was down for like the next day. And uh, a day later, I was dropping off. I was at a, I ended up at a different church, some little small town in California. My buddy was doing something in a meeting. And I just went into the sanctuary. So I was bothered, started praying. I started journaling. As I was journaling, the Lord spoke to me. And he said, Jordan, you need to repent of your self-righteous pride before me. I was like, what? And he was like, you think too highly of your insecurities. He said, Bill Johnson is a man, just like you are a man. He's like, do not tell me what I can and I cannot do. And I was pierced to my heart because I recognized that I was so wooed by what I saw as the external, that I was so, everything was found in comparison. And I didn't recognize that it's the grace of God that rests upon a life. And I repented in that moment. I said, I'm sorry. I will never tell you what you can or cannot do through my life again because it is not about me. I will never value my insecurities, my inadequacies. Oh, well, he comes from a fifth-generation family of Christians, and I'm a divorced kid. See, it gets real. We have real insecurities, real inadequacies. Well, that person's so dang smart, and I feel stupid every time I talk to him. Don't tell me what I can and cannot do. I'm not a respecter of persons, says the Lord. Who does he respect? He respects the risen 
resurrected king of glory who's chosen to reside inside of me and inside of you. And so when God looks at a human life, he's not looking for some type of attributes and certain things. Wow, the way that person speaks or the way that person prays or the way that person writes or the way, like, and we do this all the time. We fall into these traps of comparison. Oh, if I could just think like that person. They have so much wisdom. The way they talk about the Bible. Or if I could just, man, the way they love, that person loves and that person's so hospitable. And we, we look around and we're so wooed as if these things belong to one another when we don't recognize. We're, look, we're so caught up with the gifts that we miss the giver. And then we get so bound in comparison that's like, oh, I want that. I want, to be, I want to just have a healing ministry just like him. I want to preach just like him. Like This is just the temptations that come to my life. Oh, I want to I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to make a church, my church look just like that church. That church is awesome, right? And you start, we get so busy grabbing and striving out of comparison that we do not have capacity to receive the grace that God has for ourselves. And we become little copies of someone else. And we miss the authentic, original design of who we were created to be. If you take these implications further, this is even more exciting because you can begin to recognize that if God used blank, God can use me. He won't, and I want to preface this, this is important. He will not use you the same way he is using blank because you're not him or her and you will never be. So don't try to be. Receive inspiration, but then make it your own. We're not owls that just regurgitate food and give it to someone else. Okay, we're authors who get inspiration and create our own stories, right? There's a big difference. Oh, yeah, Bill said this. <laughs> Such a good word. It's like, no, that was fresh that way. That's <laughs> not fresh anymore. That's nasty, right? There's too much of that. There's too much regurgitation in the body of Christ. Okay, and it's because we don't know what to do with inspiration. We get so wooed by the inspiration that we get fixated on the individual, on the gift of grace. And that's not what it's about. It came from the giver. And he's your dad. If he's given those types of gifts away to other kids, get real happy because what's he got for you? It's pretty awesome. He's not like giving cool stuff to some kids and not to others. This isn't performance. This is a gospel of love. Amen? But we can begin to pray. If you can use him, you can use me. And I remember nights when I, uh, I didn't have a ministry. I didn't have a following. I didn't have, I didn't have anything. I didn't have any favor. I didn't even know what I wanted to do with my life. But I remember nights alone praying in places that was just me and God. And the cry of my heart started just erupting from me. You can use him. You can use me, God. Don't pass me by. Mark me for what you're doing in the earth. Mark me. Show me who I am. Just a deep just cry of my heart. If you use that man to do that, then you can use me to do something great too. Don't pass me by. Don't leave me here. I need more. Right? We have permission to come to God, he says, says what son, if he, asks for, if he asks for a loaf of bread, am I going to give a scorpion to? He says, and I'll give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. What do we need? We need more of him. 
What do we need revelation? What do you want? You're inspired by someone's, the grace on their life, then where do you need to go? To the giver. It says, knock and keep knocking. Ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. He's not going to despise the passionate pleas of your heart. You're not orphans begging for bread. So we're not doing it like, oh, God, please help me. I'm, you know, don't leave me out. That's not it. It's I've been testified to by the grace of God in another life. And I recognize in this moment that I'm poor in spirit, that I don't that, that, that I'm lacking something that belongs to me. And I'm hungry and I'm thirsty. And I'm going to express it to you until my soul is satisfied with the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We have permission. I went through the book of Acts one time. I put my initials on every single miracle. I said, God, if you can use him, you can use me. Apostle Paul's not some type of, some type of Superman. Peter's not some type of Superman. In fact, if you read the Bible, I don't know how you could ever get that he's a Superman. He's like, sometimes you're like, dude, are you even saved? And that's who he used to turn the world upside down. And if God used Peter, an uneducated fisherman who is the wish-washy, volatile type, why can he not use you? There's no good reason you can give me because it's not about you. It's not about what you got, your money, your wealth, your family, your name. It doesn't matter. It all comes down to are you willing? Use his willing vessels. And he doesn't even call the equipped. He equips the called. Just saying, are you willing? Isaiah 6, here I am, send me. That's the only qualifier. Amen? I told you it was a cliffhanger. Because <laughs> it's time. We gotta, it's like 7.42. So I'm just going to leave it right there kind of uh, abruptly. Um, but I'm going to pray for us in a sec, um, and then we got a closing song. Uh, but I, what I want to pray, I first want to just say my encouragement to you is I want you to meditate on both these things this week. Uh, and, and next week, um, honestly, uh, these two beliefs are powerful. And in my journey, it was like a multi-year journey of taking me into these. But this, what I just told you, is very, very important, but it's not enough. I still had deep questions from this place, but I had to get this into me before I could go to where the Lord wanted to take me. So next week, I'm going to, it's kind of going to the truth that I'm hoping to really unlock your ability to believe and grapple. Um, so that's where I'm, t and I'm not telling this to like mess with your minds. I'm telling you this because I want you to meditate deeply on this week. That's my encouragement is meditate on what was spoken, pray through it. Um, and then next week, I'm going to uh, do the last, um, the last uh, vein of belief, um, which is there's fullness attached to your life. And then I'm going to take that into the dynamic of dreaming with God. And really, uh, I love that it's Father's Day next week. And my heart and what I really feel like he wants is that the Father is going to be here. And he wants, there's going to be a grace and an inspiration for you to begin to dream with him. And a release into a passionate place of dreaming with your father. So it'll be kind of a cool week. Um, but I'm going to pray. Uh, I'm just going to pray what I just preached. And then uh, worship team, you can come up while I'm praying. We'll have a song. It's 745. I don't want to, I want to be respectful of your time. So 
How about, is it okay if we just say, if you want to, you can, once we start singing, sing the song, then you can leave. <laughs> All right. It's like five minutes. All right. You can stand up. I'm going to pray for you. And uh, if you are on prayer team, I'll invite you for you can come forward now as well, and then uh, they can come they can come up during the song if they want to get if you want to get um, ministry. So, yeah, Jesus, I just thank you, Lord, uh, that you're doing a good work in us, God. I thank you that you are uh, cleaning out our minds and renewing our minds, God, and getting us into a posture where we can truly believe. God, uh, the dream that you're dreaming. God, I thank you that you've qualified us by your blood, and I thank you, Lord, that we are perfect for you, that you're not a respecter of persons, but that we have everything it takes. We're enough to be used greatly by our God. And I pray, God, that you just, you just like pour that healthy soil into our minds even right now God for those that are convicted for those that have recognized there's places where this is lacking in my life I pray that you just do it and that you deepen it for those that have been on this journey for a long time I pray that there will be even new revelation and new expression God and that you continue to make our hearts good soil that bears abundant fruit God I thank you for each heart in this room God I thank you that there's greatness attached and assigned to each individual and that you are taking us on a process of unlocking us to truly Dream with you, God. Dream boldly in a way that will transform our lives and the lives around us, God. So we thank you, Lord. I just praise your name, and uh, I pray blessing over each uh, each heart. And I pray, God. I do earnestly pray that uh, that you just that everybody will come back next week so that they get to hear. In Jesus' name, love you guys. <laughs>